Hello, and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies. Old favorites, new favorites, and every so often movies we love just a little bit less. This is Season 4, Episode 3, and today we are going to be traveling back into the midst of the pandemic to 2020 and talking about Palm Springs. As always, my name is Zachary Ortz, I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined this week, just like each week preceding this week, by my good buddy Matthew Watkins. Hey, Matty. Uh, maybe a loaded question, but how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, we're so behind the scenes a little bit, folks. Um, we had to delay this recording a little bit because I got kidney stones and was in the hospital. Um, I'm good to, I'm good at this point and I'm just, you know, waiting to, to pass the dang thing. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a really rough, uh, what do we say? Like 15 hours, something like that. Yeah, so if there are just random screams in this episode, we probably won't edit them out. We'll just leave them in so everyone can know what's going on there. And we we are not alone this week. I am very happy to bring on Chris Logan from Best of the Rest. Chris, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. I do not have kidney stones. (laughs) <laughs> so you, to my knowledge. you and I are both. <laughs> well, that's true. They can grow before you know it. But let's let's knock on wood. I hope no one listening has kidney stones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Chris, I found your podcast because when Matt and I started this show, I started listening to more and more movie podcasts, and you were in a Discord that I had found through a a music podcast that I listened to. Big network think, of podcasts and Discord servers. and It's how we make yeah, these connections, right? Yeah, it's, it's really great. And I had posted, I think, a link to our show, and then you sort of followed up and said, hey, we also do a movie podcast. And I went and checked it out, and I really fell in love with it. So why don't you tell people what, what your show is and what you all do over there? Yeah, thank you so much. So I am a co-host of best of the rest each week on our show we are taking a second look at a movie that was poorly received upon release and then we challenge ourselves me and my co-host andrew to have a conversation about the movie that is only about the positives only about the things we like only about what works so a few examples of movies that we've covered uh green lantern was our first episode that ryan reynolds superhero movie ben affleck's daredevil uh there's a theme here the first 59 episodes of our podcast are all movies that were based on a comic book and a bit of an exclusive here uh, beginning with episode 60 they are no longer movies based on comic books we're actually (laughs) changing the theme every month so during the month of june we did what we call black sheep movies were movies that we would consider the Low point of a good franchise. Oh, uh, so we did Mission yeah, Impossible cool. Two, um, Rocky Five, and Live Free or Die Hard, the last Die Hard movie. And then in July, which if my schedule is right, that's when you are listening to this. Uh, we're doing video game adaptations, poorly received video game adaptations. So due to the nature of recording these things in advance, Zach, I don't think you know anything that I just said, so you gotta I do you gotta not, keep yeah, this was, a secret until this episode airs. <laughs> I, I will not tweet it out. Well, I can let it, it I think you're two weeks away from your sixtieth yeah, episode getting released. So yeah. 
after that I'll be I'll be able to tell the world. I was I I knew this was going to air after that 60th episode and I knew that y'all were announcing something for that, but I didn't know if you would trust us enough to to share it on the show. <laughs> yeah, so. there you go. So, Stream It listeners, if you listened to the Mission Impossible podcast or episode of, of the Stream It podcast and you really enjoyed it, hop on over the best of the rest, listen to our Mission Impossible 2 episode. They'll go hand in hand, I promise. Yeah, uh, Mission. Imp- I just got a notification that Mission Impossible 2 just went on to Netflix. So I'm actually gearing up go. to to watch Very it here exciting. in a little bit. And I, yeah, every episode of Best of the Rest that I've seen the movie for, I have watched the podcast. And, you know, now that <laughs> as we joke, as I joke a lot on the show, I'm the one who hasn't really seen any movies. So I've been going back and watching a lot of older movies and trying to fill in some of those holes and I'm really stoked every time one of the superheroes because I've also been just I started with whatever 1966 Batman and have been working my way through the superhero movies chronologically so I'm pretty stoked whenever it's one that you guys have covered awesome super appreciate that it's also just a great idea for a podcast. It's a uh, our perspective is very similar that there's so much in the in the world that's, you know, places where people talk about movies and are basically like just going through the things that they didn't like about them. I love the idea of going through and trying to find the things that work that are good about uh, films. And as I always tell Zach, I, I feel like people need to watch more bad movies as as funny as that might sound but and or things that are not critically received in the same way and be able to find what works about them i find it a really educational experience yeah the way i see it the the internet is a is a it's just an awful place it's just yeah. it's, it's it's great it's like the greatest thing and the worst thing there's just so much negativity it's so easy to be a can i say can i say asshole on this podcast is that all sure right? yeah so yeah, easy to be an asshole so it takes effort to be positive and, and to and to and to do that. So we want to, even you know myself, my personal life is so much easier to complain about things. So we really take it as a personal challenge to focus on the positives. And man, making a movie—it's really hard, guys. So like, if there's a <laughs> yeah. bad movie out there, they weren't trying to make a bad movie. Everybody put their best into it. So I feel like it's only fair that we we recognize that those little bits that do work. I mean, you open up YouTube and you're bombarded with video essays. 50 reasons why Doctor Strange 2 sucks, you know, it's like tearing it <laughs> apart. So we're just, we're trying to to curve that. We, as we say, we're a hashtag positivity podcast. And you're right, you guys are, are very similar here. You don't necessarily stop yourself from doing criticisms as much as we do, but I do feel like there's an optimistic tone to your podcast. You do always recognize the positives, no matter how small they may be. So I, I think you guys fit in that hashtag positivity podcast realm. Hashtag PP, if you yes. will. <laughs> PP Peter Parker, what's up? <laughs> nice, very good. Yeah, awesome, and we are thrilled that you are able to join us here today. So let's get into the movie here. Although I do want to say, before we start talking about this movie, I don't know if anybody who is listening to this podcast does not know the premise of this movie because it's in all of the trailers. And I think even if you go and load it on Hulu, if you read even the little blurb, it's going to spoil the first 20 minutes of the movie for you. Clearly, when they were making it, they didn't really think of that as a spoiler. But we are going to spoil the premise of the movie in this first half. So if that's something you somehow don't know and don't want to know, then go ahead and 
uh, go watch the movie. <laughs> I guess try not to read the little Hulu blurb that that pops up, and then we'll we'll see y'all on the. Yeah, it's, this one's this. worth watching completely cold. So, but we will have if to spoil you can, some of If the you somehow don't know what it's about, yeah, that would be amazing right. to watch this not knowing the hook, if you will. Yeah, I I wish I had had been able to have that experience, but it's just if you saw any promos for it, it's impossible. Well, okay, so so, so real quick on this topic, when I watched it this time, uh, I watched it with Lori, who didn't know anything about it. Ooh. So oh, really? I actually have some of that perspective that we can get into. So. Oh, cool. We'll talk about that in the in the second half of the show. That's exciting, actually. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing that we like to do here is we just explain why we picked the movie that we picked. You know, we don't have quite as many limitations as you do on Best of the Rest. We're just picking movies that are on the streaming platform that we chose. And this one had would have been on my list anyway but i had gone into your discord chris best of the rest and said hey is there any movie on hulu that if we're doing a hulu season y'all think we should cover and you responded almost immediately and said yeah you guys should do palm Springs." so i don't do you want to is there any particular reason that you suggested that or is it just because you liked the movie or yeah it's the first one that came to mind because to my knowledge, I probably should have looked into this, I think it's the first Hulu exclusive movie. I, I might be wrong about that, but it was the the first time I remember a movie being, like, premiering on Hulu. Like, a legit real movie. Because, like, in, it's very common now for, like, quote-unquote real movies to premiere straight to streaming or streaming at the same time as theaters. But before, in 2020 and before that, really Netflix was the only place you ever saw that. But now almost every streaming platform gets their own, again, I don't know how to phrase this, like legit movies straight to the streaming platform. And it still felt very new at the time. So I just remember being very strange, like a ooh, Andy Samberg movie, like a big star is in a legit movie and it's just on Hulu. It's very strange. So it always stuck with me that it was a Hulu exclusive I did watch it back in 2020 and did enjoy it quite a bit. So that's why it's the first one to come to mind. Uh, on top of that, it's uh, so I remember when it came out and feeling the exact same way, Chris, because, you know, it was especially during the pandemic, I was wanting to see things and there was it was so hard to find good stuff premiering on streaming basically until this one came out. But I also discovered that this is the most watched film on Hulu right now. Oh, so wow. it's, it's their biggest film. Um, it is their, it's their big thing. They, and it, people still want watch it. It still gets the most views. Yeah. And just think how much it's going to spike after the podcast. Comes out. <laughs> people will be <laughs> turning out in droves. You're welcome. So Disney. We, yeah. <laughs> you can send the check to beep. Um, it, so we just covered Crush for the podcast. This is sort of a little romantic comedy duo and Hulu exclusive duo. So it's not quite their first movie, but you're absolutely right that it is their first one to make a splash, I think. Uh, I don't know their previous three. So this is their fourth one that was a Hulu exclusive. Previously, they had done Little Monsters, which was in October of 2019, and then Wounds in October of 2019 as well, and then also Big Time Adolescence, which was March of 2020. Now, you just called it a Hulu exclusive, which I think is an appropriate 
term for this, and I don't, not to go off on too big of a tangent, but something I was thinking of, like when you start this movie, it says a Hulu original film. It makes you think that like Hulu put up these funds to have this awesome script get made, but that's not at all what happened. The movie was already made, it premiered at Sundance, and then Hulu was like, oh, we'll buy the rights to that, put it on our streaming platform. Like that's all they did. And then they call it a Hulu original film. Isn't that a little bit misleading? It It is a little misleading, I think. And this is kind of how it is for all of them, I think. It, Netflix is a little different because I think Netflix, at least for their TV shows, does go in and, like, hire people Fun to the project, do yeah. the shows. Yeah. and the But, like, I don't think Power of the Dog was that way. I think Power of the Dog was something that they acquired yeah i think so most of the movies are like that like uh they recently uh, i guess it's been a few years now but they did the rocco's modern life movie and the invaders mm-hmm. in movie and those are both like existed for years they had just never got distributed and netflix was like okay we'll we'll pay to have those and then now they're netflix originals yeah i this isn't anything scientific but i think it's like from what i've seen around five to ten percent of the netflix originals are things that netflix like produce that they that they paid to have made and the rest of it is just stuff they've acquired through the festival circuit yeah and this movie actually did come out in uh what was it sundance i think it so it did sundance in january and then released wider in July, which I was thinking would probably be pretty funny because all of those people who watched it in January probably had a very different experience than people who watched it while they were in lockdown at home or in the midst of hmm, a Why is that, pandemic. Zach? Why would you say that? What about this movie? <laughs> uh, oh, oh, we should, before we get into that, thank you for that segue because I kind of messed it up, but... Before we get into that, let's talk about personal history here, which we have a little bit talked about. But so, Chris, you said you watched it when you when it came out. And then was this your second time watching it? Yeah, I I watched it in in 2020, like pretty much as soon as it came out. I remember. So this was like the period of lockdown. I was like lockdown (laughs) from my memory. Like you weren't Mm -hmm. seeing friends. You weren't going out. There's no vaccine. All that all that fun stuff. We remember. And also during a time where we didn't know how long it would last, like, is it done by the end of mm-hmm. the year? Yeah. Anyway, very strange time. But I do remember my parents, my, my dad lives pretty close to me. And so we would sometimes see each other, but mostly kind of just talk and phone calls or whatever. And I remember asking, like, hey, did you watch that movie Palm Springs? And they're like, oh, well, we started it. And I've got two younger siblings that are still at home. And mm-hmm. we started it with the kids and made it like two minutes and had to turn it off. And it's it's very understandable why. <laughs> I think they eventually went back and did watch it. Just just the adults. But, um, yeah. I mean, overall, it is like a PG-13 movie, but it starts off pretty, uh, pretty raunchy, I think is the way I would say that. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. It, Parental yeah. warning there. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I did watch it, though. I, I was like, well, you know, with a glowing review like that from my parents i have to see what's going on here so me and <laughs> me and my wife uh watched it i i'll say i enjoyed it very much in 2020 i watched it again for this podcast and i kind of love it i don't know if we're supposed to say how we feel about the movie yet but i very much enjoyed this movie nice uh what about you manny 
Yeah, so I watched it the day it came out as well, uh, when it first debuted on Hulu. And I had been really excited for this one because I was following it since Sundance. Because there's, I had listened to an interview with the cinematographer and she had talked about this film and just mentioned like the premise of it. And it's a cinematographer that I really liked. And so I was very excited for the film to come out. So it was on my list of things to watch. And then the pandemic happened, the shutdown happened, and... I wasn't sure what was even going to come out and how any of that was going to work. And so when I saw the news that this was going to be released on Hulu, I it was very exciting. And I like marked it on my calendar as the the one like big release I was going to get to see during the summer during the pandemic. So <laughs> um, so it was exciting like that. Uh, it was the everything else I watched that came out that year was all these you know weird, very like B movie. Um, like direct-to-video kind of expectation of uh, of films, and this one was the first like real kind of feature film that I got to see that year. Yeah, and this was so it was on my radar when it came out. I think because you and I were talking about it, Matt. I probably sent you one of the trailers at some point and was mm-hmm. like, "Are you excited about this?" And I definitely was because I really love Andy Samberg. I really love Kristen Milioti. And then it was just one of those things. It was at a point in time in the pandemic where we weren't really watching movies. We were watching a lot of TV shows. Mm -hmm. That was just something that was Mm -hmm. easier for us to do. We probably were watching a lot of Brooklyn (laughs) Nine-Nine, to be completely honest. Makes sense. And just kept missing it. And then once we started the podcast, I knew when we did Hulu, we would probably cover it for the show. And so then it became less important to watch it because I knew that we'd get to cover it for this. So pretty pretty nice to have the excuse to sit down and watch it. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about 2020 here. What was what happened this year, as we've referred to? There was Did anything significant really happen in 2020? <laughs> it was kind of a year of um, nothing. Well, eventful. there had to have... It was a presidential election year, so there had to have at least been something of import. But honestly, I'm not 100% sure who who was even running or who even won. They didn't make a year. lot of headlines, so, oddly enough. No, I don't think so. It was probably just someone got reelected, would be my guess, <laughs> since we don't remember. Uh, but before, <laughs> before we talk about 2020, I did pull... Oh, so this is a time loop movie. If you didn't know that, if you didn't turn the podcast off when I warned you before, now you know, now it's forever spoiled. But... I was kind of curious about the history of time loop movies and the history of time loop stories. It's something that I've always associated with Groundhog Day, and I think most people probably associate it with Groundhog Day. And when most people explain what this movie is about, it's like, oh, it's a Groundhog Day style movie. And that certainly seems to be true. Groundhog Day was what propelled time loop movies into the forefront in American culture, but they were actually extremely popular in Japan earlier than this. So there was a short story. The earliest record or the earliest that people could find of a time loop story was in a short story magazine in 1941 called Unknown, and that story was called Doubled and Redoubled. But then it didn't really make much of an impact because that was here in the States 
But in 1965 in Japan, there was a Japanese science fiction novel by Yasutaka Tsutsui, Tsutsui called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. And <laughs> I, this movie was, or this book and this story just became huge over there. And they eventually made it into a 1972 TV series and then a 1983 film, which was the second highest grossing film in Japan that year, and then a 2006 anime film, and then a 2010 remake. So do do either of you know this story or any of these films? I own the anime version, the 2006 anime, The Girl Who Loved Yeah. It was yeah. on sale on Vudu for like three or four dollars, and my daughter really loves anime. I was looking for movies that we could watch together, so I bought it, and have not watched it. So <laughs> I can't contribute <laughs> too much. But I own that movie. I did not know it was a That's time good. loop movie. I'm gonna have to go really make it a point to go and watch it now. Hey man, you come on uh, stream it, and we're just gonna spoil movies you didn't even know you were gonna get spoiled. <laughs> No, it gives me like a, a motivation to go and watch that. Hopefully, by the time this is airing, people are hearing. If you hear my voice right now, I've probably seen it by then. So you know, hit me up. I'll tell you what I thought. That's cool. Yeah. So it, I'll put the list, the Wikipedia list, in the show notes of all of the time loop movies because it really is just like Japanese movie, Japanese movie, Japanese movie, Groundhog Day. And then it sort of like explodes <laughs> and it's still a bunch of Japanese movies, but it's also American movies. So some of the other time loop stories that I that I sort of stole to mention here, Majora's Mask came out in 2000. That's a time loop video game. And that's and a that's a top been... five video game for me. I love that video game so much. Yeah, it's it's great. And it's actually been becoming pretty common especially as roguelikes have become more common yeah i was gonna say it's basically the premise of of rogue games yeah returnal and death loop i don't know if hades quite counts but either way it's really great for video games and then the movies that i had pulled was 2010 there was edge of tomorrow which uh had tom cruise in it and was based on a Japanese novel, uh, All You Need Is Kill from 2004, and then Source Code from 2011. Those were sort of the big ones. Those were the ones that I had seen on the list. But then there's also, I don't know if y'all have watched these, but there was a 2015 Doctor Who episode that had a time loop where Peter Capaldi is trying to break out of a (laughs) time jail cell. And then the New Year special from this past year was also also a time loop story so it feels like they're just kind of everywhere now it's sort of an accepted lexicon the slasher movie happy death day is one of my favorite time loop movies Mm, and then russian doll is probably my second favorite netflix show after mindhunter yeah uh although i'm (laughs) a hypocrite i guess because i haven't watched season two yet and it's been out for a while but season (sighs) one very good yeah it's a i haven't watched season two either i started it and i haven't gone through i i haven't gone back to after the first episode but that first season was so great and so iconic and definitely does this time loop thing and then the other thing that i just want to add to the list one of the oldest ones that i remember of this it's a film that was like christmas every day or something like that 
And so, and that one, I, I can't remember which one exactly or which, what the title is exactly, but that concept of having Christmas and going through Christmas every day was, I, I believe, also in the 90s at some point. So that's time loops, and <laughs> that's a brief history of time loops. Uh, you had something that you wanted to talk about, Chris, that you had pulled. So what was what was that? Yeah, so coincidentally, this week on the YouTube channel Cinemassacre, which is hosted by James Rolfe, which most people know as the Angry Video Game Nerd, he released a video about the location Bronson's Cave, which is used in this film. It's... I know we're still uh, kind of not do spoilers, but it's a very prominent location in this film. And it's been used in countless TV shows and movies over the years since, like, the silent film era. So it's a cave, or at least it's usually portrayed as a cave, but it's actually, it was, uh, they were mining rocks from a mountain, created a tunnel, and then the project shut down. So now there's this tunnel that is just a great location if you ever need a cave in a desert. So you've seen it like <laughs> on tons of Power Rangers episodes. It's been in lots of movies. Almost every Star Trek series has used it. And it is the entrance to the Batcave for the Adam West TV show. And it's here. And uh, the video is titled Traveling Fourth Dimensionally, I think, with Bronson's Cave, something like that on the Cinemassacre channel, but it's pretty cool. He actually went to the location and he filmed his own footage and then he overlaid different TV shows and movies that film there. So he put them all together. So there's like the Wonder Woman TV show and the Power Rangers and they're arriving at the cave at the same time. And uh, it's pretty neat. Oh, that's cool. It's pretty cool. A little history of that location. Yeah, I'll go ahead and throw throw that into the show notes so people don't have to, have to Google around for it. The... So as we sort of alluded to in 2020, the pandemic started in, well, I guess it started in January, not in the United States, but it started to hit the United States in February, maybe early March was when I started to get worried about it. I think in February was when I was on Twitter and saw people in Italy tweeting about it and was like, oh no, it's it's coming. But March 11th was the date that I had pulled that that's the day where everything shut down. That's the day where the NBA shut down. That was the one of the first times that I remember Dr. Fauci being on TV talking about the pandemic and talking about the coronavirus. So by the time this movie comes out, we're in the midst of summer. Numbers are down, but there's still no vaccine and so (laughs) there people are still pretty scared at least i was still pretty scared about covid because i we had no protections from it (laughs) we had no no built-up immunity unless you had already had it of course and matt you had something that you wanted to talk about here yeah so what i did in preparation for the podcast is i went through on the day this released and then i searched my twitter history from just like the week, the week before and the week after to see what was on my mind at the time. Uh, and it was all, everything, all the news stories that I was looking at and everything that I was thinking about in the time this movie came out was the debate over opening schools back up. 
And on the day that this film released, the superintendent of our school district, it was leaked that they were going to reopen the school district and they wanted to add a hold harmless clause so that they could reopen the schools, but nobody could sue them if they died from the coronavirus. Um, so that, that was the news story that I was thinking about when this film came out. And then that got reversed afterwards, but all of those kinds of things were going on. And the, you know, I felt at the time, like I was kind of going through a time loop because of all the debates and just the same thing going on over and over again. And I still kind of feel that way because I feel like this debate and it just has gone on endlessly. And I feel like every time that I pop into social media, every few months, there's another debate about, about schools opening and schools closing and all of these kinds of things. So I've, I've felt like that same experience, this deja vu like experience from that over and over. So I thought it was very representative of, of my experience thinking about when I was watching the film. Yeah. And of course it's, hard not to draw parallels between this day that Niles, that Andy Samberg's character is trapped in, and the experience that we all went through where we were trapped in our homes. And the the only excitement that we had for the day was, you know, if we went out for a walk or, you know, the especially early in the pandemic, you know, we were only going out like to get groceries once a week. And so that one time was like our only excitement. So hard hard not to draw those parallels, but of course, when they made the movie, they had no idea what we would be going through. That was so. definitely in the conversations I remember when this movie premiered, like how appropriate it was because we're all stuck at home, same location, probably doing the same stuff every day if you're not working. And this movie being a time loop movie, we have a character going through that exact same thing. Some of the promotional material and iconic shots is Andy Samberg lounging in a pool drinking a beer, something that a lot of us were probably doing during that time. So it was, yeah, just appropriate for the time. But yeah, like you said, it's funny. Obviously, this movie wasn't made with any of that in mind. It was sort of just things falling into place, as they do sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> right place at the right time, or the right place at the wrong time, or who... Who really knows? Do any of you want to say anything else about 2020? We don't. I mean, we all lived through 2020, so it sort of no. is what it is. I mean, personally, I've always 2020 is a bit funny because yes, horrible time for the world. It was on fire. We don't need to get all depressing about it. But for me personally, one of the best years of my life. On New Year's Day in 2020, my wife and I found out we were having a baby. We closed on our first house in June of 2020. My son was born in September. My job allowed me to stay home. It was, it was personally, I was very happy in 2020 outside of, you know, <laughs> all the, all the obvious uh, stuff there. It was similar for me, actually, Chris. It's a it, 2020 was a perfectly fine year for me personally. It was just bad for the world. But for me, you know, I had a great year that year. So um, I don't know. It's, it's a very strange thing. Pan- pandemic aside, do you guys remember like the, uh, I call it the joke. I guess you call it like a dark humor joke about how 2020 was like the sequel to 2016. And there's all these awful things happening seemingly every month. You had like Kobe Bryant pass away. You had the fires in Australia. You had the pandemic start. You had murder hornets. Mm-hmm. It was literally like every month. And that was the joke. Like, oh, what's next in this reality show of <laughs> of the world? But so much stuff happened. It's like, yeah, Kobe 
Bryant died in 2020. Like, that was a really big event, but, like, that is not the first thing that comes to mind when you think of 2020. But I want to bring it up. I know I just said we weren't going to be depressing, but I want to bring it up because I have this I have this theory about this, and I can't think of any other time in my life I'd ever be able to talk about this on a podcast. I'm using this excuse here. <laughs> quick, quick poll with the two of you. When Kobe Bryant passed away at any point, whether you first heard about it or memorials and news stories, did you cry? Shed a tear. To get emotional about it. I I did not, mostly because like basketball, because the Seattle Sonics were so ruthlessly stolen from us <laughs> in 2009. Basketball has not been like my primary sport. So I didn't shed a tear, but I mean, it was like, I remember getting the news alert and reading it in our, at that point, new kitchen and new apartment and just being like, like I had to read it multiple times to be like. Yeah, so out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I did, did not expect it, but no, I, I did just to be <laughs> the callous one. I did not shed a tear. Matt, I'm guessing Matt is the same. at any point? I did, yeah, but it's uh, less okay. for Kobe oh. Bryant, more for his daughter. Um, when I read about sure. that, I just mm, yeah. that got me because I was thinking about my kids, and uh, that that kind of emotionally wrecked me. Um, yep. uh, otherwise, you know, I'm not a big basketball person, so uh, when when I knew that it was, or until I knew that his daughter was involved and all of that, it it didn't hit me like that. I got you. Yeah. So when I first heard about it, it was so out of nowhere. I remember my wife was actually taking a nap and the news broke and she woke up and I was like, Kobe Bryant died. And it was just, it's just like, how do you, it's such a weird thing to process. It's like this random young, healthy person that's just gone. And then the, anyway, the, 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 I'm getting to a point here. There was this news story that I watched the, later that day, maybe the next day about uh, a news reporter's experience with Kobe Bryant and how much he loved being a girl dad. And I can't talk about it too much because I will. I was wrecked watching that because, like you said, you think about your own family, what it means to be a dad, and passing away with mm-hmm. his daughter, just horribly tragic event, and I absolutely cried. And I probably cried again. I'm not a big basketball guy either, but I tried to watch the memorial, and when Michael Jordan gave his speech, I definitely made a point to watch that. Probably shed a few tears there. So my theory is... This, you know, Kobe Bryant, huge person in his, the world of basketball and beyond that, just pop culture. We all know who he was. Me not being a basketball fan, I still cried. Matt cried. I would guess that Kobe Bryant's death caused the most men to cry in the world more than any other death in history. That's my theory. Hmm. I can't immediately come up with a counterexample. And when Matt was talking, I did realize that I actually did as well. It, but it, for the same reason, I had listened to an ESPN podcast on his daughter and her playing basketball. And yeah, and then I just lost it. Yep. But I, yeah, I had, had blocked that out. There's there's the um, sports. I mean, every basketball fan is crying. Every dad is crying. Everybody thinks about their family. So it, it's, it's hitting so many different things. And he's just a you know, larger-than-life figure. And you know, when you get into the controversies of Kobe Bryant, that's not really the point I'm getting at here. But I, just the circumstances surrounding it, that's that's what I'm putting my – there's no way to, like, prove I'm right about this. But that's – I can't even think of something that comes close. I think of, like, 
maybe Michael Jackson because he was insanely popular, but I, I I didn't cry when Michael Jackson died. I mean that you know, but that's the closest I mean, thing I can think of that would maybe rival this. But I, I'm a crier, so I cry a lot. But I I think that there's I can't think of one that's. I can't think of another person that would meet that. Maybe like Robin Williams, but I, I don't think that I don't think it would hit the same as Kobe Bryant did. So that's a that's um, a pretty good answer, actually. I did cry yeah. when Robin Williams died, but it's and it's also a very tragic death. So yeah, that's that's a pretty good so. answer. Yeah, Robin Williams is a good bad answer. If other people have good bad answers, definitely hit us up and let us know if there's someone that we're missing someone that we're missing missing do you do it you want to say anything else about 2020 or should we i've got nothing else for 2020 all right so let's talk a little bit about the personnel and stats here i think we've all got a a person that that we want to talk about here first off though this movie had a five million dollar budget which is pretty tiny and it i was actually surprised that it even had box office numbers i did not think that it would but it did make one and a half million at the box office which if you weren't thinking about it in pandemic terms would be pretty dismal but because it was in the midst of a pandemic actually seems pretty great so <laughs> yeah pretty pretty good numbers for that and then additionally it's because it's so watched on hulu i can only imagine that they see it as a huge success and that the filmmakers see it as a huge success but it's hard when it's these direct-to-streaming films to know like what that looks like monetarily. All right, so let's talk a little bit about our, our people here, the people who went into making the film. I do want to quickly mention the director, even though he ha- we won't spend too much time on him just because it is his feature film directorial debut, and that's Max, Barba- Max Barbacow or Max Barbaco. I did not look your name up. I apologize, Max. Kind of fun. We got to do two directorial debuts back to back because we also did Crush last week. But then, Chris, you wanted to talk about Andy Samberg. You want to jump in there? Yeah, Andy Samberg is so good in this movie. And this is one of those things that watching it a second time, I felt even more strong about. And, you know, Zach, you mentioned earlier you're a big Andy Samberg fan. And I would describe myself that way now, but it certainly wasn't always that way. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't until Brooklyn Nine-Nine when I realized, like, oh, this guy is, like, funny but also has heart and can do other things. My impression of Andy Samberg pre-Brooklyn Nine-Nine is he's a really loud, obnoxious guy that used to be on SNL. And it just never really clicked for me, Hot Rod or anything. But ever since then... And especially this movie, he is absolutely crushing it. I am not exaggerating. Like this, if if the Academy considered movies like this more seriously, like this is like an Oscar-worthy performance. It is insanely good. The layers that he is playing, given the nature of the story, and a lot of stuff you might not catch until the second time around. But it is, it, yeah, it just blew me away with his performance. I get into more specifics whenever we can talk spoilers, but. I uh, just just far and away. Great performance. So good. Yeah, I said I was an Andy Samberg fan, but I'm really only familiar with him in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And his performance here is pretty similar to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think. But I think what he does so well 
is he has sort of these outlandish, uh, like, character beats and outlandish... Um, I guess it's bordering on physical comedy, but for some reason, when I find them unnerving or I find them a little bit of a turnoff in other people for him, from him, it always feels extremely grounded. And so it always works for me. And I don't, I've like, we watched every episode of every season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I've spent a long time trying to diagnose like what his secret sauce is that allows him to do what he does and i i have no insight to it i don't know what it is (laughs) it's it's like he's not because like the the man child archetype is well known yeah usually obnoxious and you can kind of describe him that way but it's more like he's an adult that still just enjoys a little youthful energy and juvenile humor but he himself as a person as a character is an adult, is rational, is smart, has a heart, like has all the functioning adult things that you don't always see with say like a, you know, Adam Sandler man child character, mm, yeah. like a Billy Madison or whatever, where it's really just obnoxious, this 30 something year old still acting like a 16 year old. He just, he kind of, he makes those boyish mannerisms charming because he's still like a fully fleshed out character. Uh, that's, that's my take at it. My stab at his secret sauce. Yeah, I think the Adam Sandler comp is actually a really good one because in general, Adam Sandler is someone whose shtick doesn't work for me. And they are kind of similar shticks. So that's that's interesting. Do you does his does his stuff work for you, Matt, in the same way, or what's your impression there? I don't think I like Sandy Andy Sandberg as much as you guys, but it definitely does work for me. And I think the biggest thing that makes Andy Samberg work where some of these other stars might is it's similar to what Chris was saying is that he just approaches things from a little bit more earnest perspective a little bit more and a little bit more care it's it's not so much that like his jokes there's a lot of self-deprecative uh, humor that he uses and he is in on the jokes uh, that he's telling and his jokes or, or his humor isn't really mean-spirited so i think that's a big part of why it works for me yeah yeah me. also self-aware like he'll know he doesn't always think he's right and stick to his dumb childish ways and then eventually learns the lesson in the end he'll immediately be like oh i was wrong about that and we're kind of describing his Brooklyn Nine-Nine character and he as an actor, but I think that is a good baseline for his strengths as Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And, uh, yeah, being kind of, like, self-aware of the type of personality he has goes a long way. Yeah, and I think that's intentional because on both both Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Palm Springs, he's producer on that. So I think there is some amount of creative control that he's sort of levied there i actually haven't ever seen him talk about it but that's always been my assumption is that he has been able to craft characters that work towards his strengths while also having a point of view that he wants them to have or he feels like it's a a good place for him to be i was so i wanted to talk about sorry did someone else want to say oh no i was just gonna add that he also was a bit involved in the development of this character and he did a lot of improv improvisation on set and he was very invested in the story of the character and then doing alternative takes based on 
character depth rather than just like doing weird stuff uh, to get laughs. And so the the director and the cinematographer talked about that he is especially creative in that regard. Yeah, that makes sense. So I wanted to talk a little bit about his counterpart here, Kristen Milioti, and well, uh, just slam my desk, Kristen Milioti, and she's because she's one of ours. She comes from the musical theater world. She comes from the theater world. Some of her first stuff was in television. I was surprised to see that she had been in a couple Sopranos episodes because we did watch through those earlier in the pandemic and I did not recognize her. But she was not, she was in Once, which won Best Musical in 2012. And she was actually nominated for a Tony in that. But I think the rest of the world got to know her when she came on to a little show called How I Met Your Mother. And I guess I won't say what role she plays because if you haven't watched it, I guess it might be kind of a spoiler. But it, it's a very difficult performance to give and she really just brings such charm and like everything I've seen her in, she's just so easy to watch. And I'm really kind of flabbergasted, like looking at her filmography that it hasn't been more than it is because I feel like every single time I've seen her on film, it's just absolutely, absolutely perfect. I agree. Why isn't she in everything? She's just, she's so seemingly effortlessly charming and charismatic and funny. It, it She's it's a great performance, and I don't know why she's not in more movies. I don't know. She's so good. Um, she's my favorite performance in this film. Uh, I thought she was just phenomenal, and um, just such a broad range of emotion that she goes through, and I thought she was great. Yeah, and I guess we shouldn't talk about that until we talk about spoilers. And you had mentioned, Chris, that you were surprised that they had, that this was like a real movie, but we still also haven't even mentioned J.K. Simmons, who is also in this film. And yeah. we don't have to run down his resume. It kind of goes without <laughs> without speaking for But, I mean, this guy just like gets nominated for Oscars left and right, even when it's just a dumb little performance in what was the, uh, being the Ricardos, you know, he's just extremely highly acclaimed. And he's, I mean, I love that he's not above doing the quote unquote, smaller movies, straight to streaming $5 million picture, you know, whiplash is another small budget movie that he did. That's maybe his best performance. It's insanely good, but it, yeah. What does it say about JK Simmons? Who doesn't, one of the best character actors living today, a hundred percent. And, Hulu actually has a commentary cut of this movie, which I had never heard of a streaming service having this before. It's really cool. So like if you, it's kind of hidden. You got to go to the movie, then go to the extras page on Hulu, then you can watch it with the commentary, and uh, the cast will hop in, the writer and director will hop in and give their tidbits. And Andy Samberg mentioned that he and J.K. Simmons knew each other from a previous project, and it was his idea to bring him on for this mm. character of Roy. He's like, we already have a relationship, we have chemistry, and he specifically mentioned. I don't know. They've got some pretty key scenes together that he says really fun to film, and you can tell they're having a good time. For sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I didn't know they were previously friends, but 
<laughs> certainly makes it all make sense. I kind of assumed that J.K. Simmons just like, you know, he's gotten the award acclaim that he needs. He's gotten to do whatever the Spider-Man films. Like now he can just do movies he likes and movies that he wants to do. You know, he's <laughs> he, he's fine for everything else. So. Uh, who did you have that you wanted to talk about? Matt? Yeah, so uh, uh, no surprise here. Once again, um, ta- wanted to talk about the cinematographer, and this is one of the first cinematographers that I started like following when I started caring about cinematography. Um, her name is Ku Yen Tran, and commonly known as Q, uh, she often uses that, and that's how she's credited in this film as Q Yen quote quotation marks Q Tran, and. She's a really fascinating person. Uh, I'll tell you real quick the story of how she became a cinematographer. Um, so she was originally an accountant. And she had like a hard time figuring out what to do with her life. And she kind of bounced around through some different things. She, did, she was a music director for some time and became an accountant to pay the bills. And then she got a camera for like her birthday because she was kind of you know playing around with film as a hobby. And then there was this one morning where she woke up and there was like, there was, it felt like there was like an earthquake in their house or something like that. And she looked out the window and it was September 11th. The plane had just crashed into the the Twin Towers and they were in an apartment that was right across from there. And so, oh, so wow. she had her camera and she just started taking pictures of everything that was happening with September 11th, including the second plane crashing into the, into the towers. And so she caught on the, all this on camera and they were like running through the city, trying to take and take pictures, didn't know what was going to be happening. And she took pictures all through this entire thing. And then afterwards she had the camera and they were just looking at the pictures and they realized what they had. So she took it down to uh, the associated press and was like, I, I have all these pictures. I don't know what to do with them. And a lot of the photography that you see, the iconic f- photography from September 11th, is stuff that she took on her camera. The and as an amateur photographer, she just was there and and was there at that time. And once that happened, she decided to change just everything in her life and become and go into film. And then she went to film school to learn about cinematography and that's how she became a cinematographer what was the first like when did you start tracking her as a cinematographer um, do you remember which movie it was for so i can't remember which movie it was for but i remember listening to an interview with her on the cinematography podcast uh, where she talked about this stuff and also at the mm-hmm. same time she uh, a similar time period she did an interview for a show called critical role um, where she, because she is married to one of the stars off of crit- Critical Role. So the, that's kind of how I came, uh, she came into my circle of like knowledge. Uh, and then I started following the things that she did. And one of the big things that she's known for is the TV series Unbelievable. And so she did a lot of work on that. That's fascinating. If we can somehow bring up the Holocaust on this podcast, I think we'll complete our bingo card of like depressing <laughs> world events. <laughs> We are just knocking them For out sure. left and right. But it's it's I'm so glad it's so cool that you picked the cinematographer as like the person to highlight because I it's not always something that people notice or highlight or think is a strong point, but it absolutely this movie looks so good and the specifically what I want to compliment is that 
the movie spoilers takes place in palm springs <gasps> it's really hot it's like a lot of desert landscape 90 percent of the time if you see that in a movie or tv show they're doing the yellow tint to show mm. that it's hot they tint everything yellow and i hate it with a passion it's cheap it's lazy it's usually racist it's horrible and they don't do that here at all it's this movie is so vivid mm -hmm. and colorful and it conveys that you're in a desert and it's hot without doing yellow tint without doing constant heat waves it just it looks like it's supposed to look it looks like a, a location that happens to be hot but is also beautiful and colorful and the sky pops and it's just this movie just has such a great look to it yeah. so uh huge props to to her for making that come through yeah and on top of it it doesn't look like a film that was made for five million dollars no it looks like no. it looks like a 20 million dollar film that, that they made for a five yeah. million dollar budget it's, it's great well you get to use the same shots over and over and over again when you do a time loop film so that's helpful yeah money there I saw they filmed this in 21 days, which is what? insane. Uh, 21 that is days. an insane shooting schedule. And uh, a lot of times, I didn't finish the whole commentary track, but they mentioned being up till 5, 6 in the morning filming stuff. I mean, it was a, you can tell it was a busy 21 days, but yeah, that is an insanely short time for principal photography on a, on a major yeah. motion picture. Very short turnaround. And a, a lot of those days, they couldn't even film the whole day, like during the day portion because of they're in palm springs and it's a difficult uh location to oh it's just too. Uh, yeah yeah exactly so so it, it's incredible that they got that much done uh in such a short period of time okay cool so chris our last segment before we get into spoilers is we think that this is kind of we have a nice chance with this opening section for anyone who hasn't watched the movie yet if there's anything that we think people should know or anything that we think would aid in a first time viewing of the film then this is the section where we like to say it so sometimes there isn't anything to say here i don't think i actually have anything for this part but do either of you have anything that you want to say for a first time viewer here i mean we already mentioned go in as blind as possible i, I kind of recommend that to like every movie but this yeah. one in particular has a lot of nice surprises and stuff that's gonna uh, really work better but i already mentioned i love the movie i don't know if we've mentioned it has like a 95 percent on rotten tomatoes i mean this is a very good movie when you think of like a rom-com that is coming to a streaming service that costs five million dollars you're not expecting you're expecting a, a good a good time and it is but i think it is genuinely just a one of the best movies of 2020 and I already mentioned how much I love Andy Samberg's performance. It's go watch yep. it. It's very good. I don't have anything else to add for this either. It's just, you just go watch it. It's great. I guess the only thing I would say here is as Chris said, the opening like couple minutes of this movie are pretty raunchy, but it is not really indicative of the tone for the rest of the movie. So if you turn it on and that's something that turns you off, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, <laughs> definitely try and push through because it, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue for you for the rest of the movie. Yeah, there's there's no nudity, just a lot of implications, if that is helpful. Yeah. All right, so let's take a break and then we'll be back with spoilers.
All right, welcome back for the back half of the show. We're gonna spoil the whole movie. It's all all coming out here. So why don't we start with uh, Chris? Why don't you? Was there anything that struck you differently on your second watch of the movie? Was there anything that surprised you this time through? Yeah, a hundred percent. So I. Even though, like we mentioned, most people knew this was a time loop movie going into it based on trailers and people talking about it. It's hard not to spoil that. You, So watching the movie, even the first time, you you probably know that Andy Samberg's character, Niles, is already in the time loop. I think that's pretty obvious if you know that's the premise of the movie. Mm-hmm. But even still, watching it a second time, knowing he's in the loop, and knowing how his relationship with all these characters is going to evolve, there's a lot to pick up on. Specifically, again, I keep praising his performance. And there's this part at the wedding where he is, he gives his speech and he's uh, he's wooing uh, Sarah, right? He's, he's trying to uh, have a romantic night with her. And they end up alone at the wedding at like a cocktail table and he's looking at her and he's saying these lines and he's talking to her and he's he's staring like right at her like very intensely as he gives these lines and the the first time you watch it you might think that he's just being a smooth talker he's a womanizer he's trying to get in her pants you know whatever but watching it with the knowledge that we have it is he's depressed he's sad he's mm-hmm. going through the motions there's there's pain in his eyes he's like i hate that i have to do this there's not a lot of me there's all, so much being said with his his performance and this this stare that he's giving her that it gives it a whole new layer and a whole new meaning upon a rewatch and i was finding moments like that throughout the entire movie it layers to his performance and what his character has gone through and you know what it means and that was my biggest revelation rewatching it is the layers to Andy Samberg's performance. He was, I think Matt, you mentioned earlier that, or maybe it was Zach, it was, it was one of you, <laughs> that his his improv moments were more based on character depth and what the character would be feeling at that time versus like another goofy line for a laugh. And you can totally see that. He's totally in tune with where this character is emotionally. And at the beginning of the movie, before she is stuck in the time loop with him, he is a shell of a person, and it is uh, very noticeable on the second watch. Yeah, nice. Did you watch it by yourself? Uh, yes, the second time. Back in 2020, I watched it with my wife, but this time it was uh, it was just me. Cool. Just me and Andy. <laughs> uh, and what about you, Maddie? You you can tell us a little bit how, how Lori did with it, and also if there was anything that surprised you on rewatch. So I hadn't seen it since that last time. So it was kind of, I was seeing a lot of different things that I hadn't remembered uh, and they were popping back into my mind. And since I knew the premise of the show and I knew kind of the way that it was going to end, I was seeing the way that it was building up all of the little pieces as it was going. But again, as I was watching with Lori, Lori didn't know that it was a time loop film, but figured it out pretty quickly maybe 15 20 minutes in is right when he gets up and does that speech and he like comes around and does that little dance that he's doing and then he gets up to give the speech Mm -hmm. that's when she said oh this is a time loop isn't it um it's like groundhog day and so that was interesting Mm -hmm. to see that planted even though they hadn't clarified it she was able to pick up on it 
but it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was really interesting to see Lori's reactions to it in real time and picking up on what was going on. I enjoyed the performances. I enjoyed it honestly more this time because I knew a little bit of what was coming and I wasn't so much in the trying to figure out if I liked it. I was just enjoying the film as it was going. Yeah, that that makes sense. For me, so obviously I knew it was a time loop movie. And I was, during that opening scene where he's clearly got something going on, you know, where he's unable to climax or he's unable to orgasm, like clearly there was something going on. And so I was like 50, 60% sure that he was already in the time loop. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty interesting take on take on this story but the dance scene was the point that i was like oh he's that's when it tipped over for me that i was 100 percent sure that he was in the time loop and i was probably like 90 95 sure when he was giving the speech because it just so obviously seems like a speech that has been polished and tested through <laughs> thousands of different iterations of of the time of the time loop on the commentary cut, the uh, the writer hopped in, and I'm horrible with names. I'm sorry, the, the writer of this movie, and mentioned that they were like they were trying to give you clues before it's revealed that he's already in the loop, like the fact that he's wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt at the wedding, cracks a beer during the reception, mm-hmm. uh, or during the the ceremony, I should say, and he's just he looks out of place, he looks detached, and you know, why is that? So they're trying to like lead you to that conclusion before the reveal. And what I love about this opening section, again, this first like 20 minutes before it's explicitly stated that we're in a time loop and he wakes up again, is even if you already know it's a time loop, there is a moment where you still go, what the hell is going on? And it's whenever they're on the beach together, he has taken Sarah to the beach. They are... Things are heating up. They're getting romantic. And then from off screen, arrow flies <laughs> oh, yeah. him and hits, and hits him in the back. And he takes off running. And he's being chased by, like, this SEAL team-looking soldier. E- even if you know it's a time loop, you're still like, what? Yeah. What is What is this? What is this secret? And that is it's just something nice that, like, even though they don't have, like, the surprise of getting a time loop for the first time, there's still something there, some bit of mystery for us to uncover, even if we're already clued in. No, it almost kind of feels like we're in the, you know, we're in this world now for Batman and for Spider-Man where they're like, yeah, everyone knows the origin story and they don't want to see that origin story anymore. And it's kind of like they did that with this movie. Like no one wants to see that character get figure out, figure out that he's got, he's getting stuck in a time loop. Like, why don't we just jump to where he's already been in it and then we can watch him see someone else figure it out literally the exposition line is it's one of those infinite time loop situations yeah. <laughs> you may have heard about That's oh that line is so great yeah <laughs> and even with sarah gets stuck in it sarah gets stuck in the time loop and she's going through all her theories and stuff and she's like well have you considered this this and this and i love this line he says yeah no i've never really thought about the multiverse like all sarcastically <laughs> right like, yeah I've, I, I've been through all this lady you know and I, I like it for how dismissive it is because he's already gone through it. And I like it because in 2020 they said multiverse, which has really taken off since then. But this still feels a little bit at the beginning of that really entering the 
public consciousness. I know it's existed in, in, in media for a long time, but it's such a shorthand now. Just like there's time loop movies, there's now multiverse movies with obviously Multiverse of Madness. You got a lot of MCU stuff doing it, Spider-Man doing it, everything everywhere all at once. I think I get the name of that movie right. But it's kind of just its own sci-fi subgenre now at this point. And this movie touches on both of them. Yeah, and it would, I mean, the first big one to do it would have been Spider-Verse, which I think was 2019. Oh, right, right. So this movie would have been in production before that. It, was it 2019? That sounds right, but there's also Rick and Morty, which I'm not sure where that started, uh, what year that started, but that is all about a multiverse as well. Mm. Got it. Well, and then there's Doctor Who. Multiverse so. is so hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> what a hot multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing <laughs> that I thought was really nice about this movie that struck me a lot this first time through is we've seen sort of the tired trope of the man who like can't figure out how to like he doesn't know how to have joy in life and yes. this was a really cool subversion of that where it's sort of like all he knew how to do was figure out how to find joy in life, but he had done it so much that all of the joy had come out of it, and someone had to teach him how to find it again or how to find meaning in life again. And I wasn't really expecting that subversion. I wasn't expecting there to be to be surprised about the journey of the movie in quite that way. Yeah, I mean, the the manic pixie dream girl trope is all about sad man who can't move forward in life. Mm-hmm. And then a female character enters who is only defined by their quirkiness and only defined by helping the male move on. And this movie is so far from that. While telling a similar story, the bones are there. Like, he's reached a point where he can't move forward and she helps him move forward, but they help each other together and she's a fully formed character i mean it avoids all those pitfalls the script is the yeah. script is so good i'm, I'm in love with this script. The script is so tight too yes yeah. that that's a great point about that i hadn't thought about it in terms of subverting that manic pixie girl trope and that you put it better than i was able to even though it was a point that i had been thinking about for a couple of days so well i wouldn't have made the point if you didn't get us started so this yeah. is you know just teamwork loosened the catch up podcasting baby yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's talk about our first scene here and this was oh this was my scene so this is i wanted to talk about this sequence where niles is teaching sarah about the time loop and this is what you had mentioned chris this is sort of our exposition of the film which is kind of a weird place for it to happen so i did go back and i got the timestamp. she wakes up in the time loop or she wakes up in the time loop i think at about 16 and a half minutes but then their her education on it where she goes and sits down next to niles by the pool after her sister's teeth have already been broken at <laughs> at 18 minutes into the film and then he he has that line that you mentioned where it's probably a time loop thing. You've probably heard about it. And then he sort of takes us through the rules of the time loop. He brings us and shows us the cave, shows us the earthquake, and <laughs> pretends to be the Antichrist. <laughs> and then we get we get like just a few little flashes of her like 
testing the limits, you know? So she drives to Texas and then falls asleep in Texas and wakes back up in Palm Springs. And then she comes in and wakes him up. And then the training really starts in earnest. And what I really wanted to talk about is the scene where they're driving and Niles nihilistically sort of lays out the rules and lays out what we will eventually learn is his problem and what she needs to come in and push him for. And he says, we kind of have no choice but to live. So I think your best bet is to learn how to suffer existence. And he is sad boy. (laughs) Yeah, he is. And this was, it, it feels dumb. Like it's dumb that a line like this hit me so hard, but I think this was the way it's sort of, well, I don't want to spoil WandaVision, but there's a particular line in WandaVision that hit people because of when it came out and how it was. And I can only imagine this line felt the exact same way in the midst of 2020, where it's just like, everything is awful around us and it's not going to get better. And the best we can do is like, figure out, (laughs) figure out how to get through it. And it, I loved that it clicked home for me. And that was the first time that I realized, I assume that it was, I don't know if they mentioned on the commentary, Chris, but I assume it was intentional to name him Niles because his worldview is so existential. Nihilistic. nihilistic. I, I, I didn't finish the commentary. Maybe they get around to that. It didn't come up, but when you said it just now, you said Niles being nihilistic. That's exactly what I just thought. I was like, Oh, that has to be intentional. I would be very surprised if that was a coincidence. I didn't pick up on it until you just said it as well. So Ooh, and I, it cool. kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait, you're right. He is nihilistic. What? <laughs> All right. So at least I brought something and to the podcast Sarah today. is smart. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I get nothing for Sarah. <laughs> So that was all all that I really wanted to say about this scene is how much I loved them driving and him him trying to teach it to her. And it's a nice way for them to give us the rules of the time loop because it lets them have someone else explain it. It lets us have Niles explain it. Oh, though I did also want to mention, so after after this, he explains the story with J.K. Simmons, with Roy, and you also get that big moment of conflict where she says, what are you going to do about it? And he says, what can I do about it? I just have, I'm just going to keep running from him. Like I can't do anything else. And she's like, are you crazy? Of course you can do something about it. (laughs) And on rewatch of the scene, that was one of those things where I could see that seed that they were sprinkling. Like she is going to bust this guy out of here. And yeah, it was nice. Yeah, he wasn't even considering it as a possibility that this can. It just he has accepted it as a fact of life. Even though when they mentioned Roy, who Roy is a person that is also stuck in the time loop and resents Niles for getting him stuck there, occasionally hunts him down and tortures him. And there's these <laughs> quick shots of him being tortured, him being waterboarded <laughs> and electrocuted, and they're so brutal. They're on your screen for like three seconds, but you think about the filmmaking process and getting that scene set up and like how much, you know, hours of work went into that three seconds, those little shots stand out. So they're so jarring because they're nothing visually, nothing like the rest of this movie. And they're, it's, it's super effective. All the work they went through to get those 
weird torture shots. Totally worth it. Well, and you need those shots. You need that shock. Because at first I was like, why did they do this? Why did they put this in here? But I think it's because they needed to have the contrast for the scene that we're going to talk about later where he goes to J.K. Yep. Simmons' yeah. house to talk to him. Yeah, which is delightful. D- was there anything else you wanted to say about this scene, Maddie? I just liked, you know, since they have awareness of the media uh, and the different kinds of time loop situations that they that could be in, I like that they approached it with that kind of metafictional knowledge and so the characters are kind of aware of time loops and so they're able to think of the kinds of things they've seen in these stories and go through them and so it knocks off a lot of the things that you might be in your mind very quickly and you can just settle in and enjoy the rules of the story that they're telling yeah yeah it's it's just like we understand a time loop there's a few lingering questions how does it reset you die or fall asleep like it's Mm -hmm. just very simple things to get knocked out and that dialogue that explains it exists beyond just being exposition. It is also yes. great character moments, like you're talking about in the car with him giving his, you know, worldview, basically. So we're learning about the characters, and they're just, you know, sneaking in, like, the rules of it for people that are trying to, you know, figure out the, quote-unquote, science of it. But you can do it so fast and so easy because this concept is just so well-known in pop culture. I thought it was a very smart move on their part. I will say I did have a moment where I was like, wait, does he have to go to... Because the first time we see it reset is him going to the cave. I was like, wait, does he have to go to the cave for it to reset? So I was a little confused by that at first, but I don't... I think it was actually fine. Like, it didn't give me any pause for figuring everything out. It is a bit strange because going into the cave again is a way to reset it, but so is dying. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense for Roy... He's hunting him down. He's near the cave. Okay, time to reset. I'm going to walk into the cave. That makes sense. But I guess because uh, Niles is bleeding out, he just doesn't want to end up in an <laughs> ICU, I guess. They do make yeah. that a few times. The worst way to die is slowly in an ICU. So maybe that's his thought process. If I climb this cave, I disappear. Sarah won't find me. I won't end up in an ICU. It, it's a little... I wouldn't quite say contrived, but it is a bit odd that they make that choice for him to slowly crawl into the cave. It's it's really just a way to get Sarah yeah, in there, for sure. ultimately. Yeah, and I was I was able to figure out the reasoning. I think you're exactly right, but I didn't. It didn't fully click to me until maybe like two thirds yeah. of the way through the movie. Fair enough. Uh, what? Why don't we talk about our next scene, which is more a a mishmash of scenes leading up to it? But it's yours, Maddie. So why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, so I was having a hard time picking out a particular scene because this film repeats a lot of the same kinds of scenes. It has these motifs that go through as a time loop, uh, which makes sense. But the the thing that really just impacted me as I watched this was the contrast between Niles and Sarah and their experience with this time loop. So we talked about how Niles, he's nihilistic, but he's he's in Palm Springs at a destination wedding. Like, it's hard to think of many <laughs> better situations to get stuck in a time loop in. But for Sarah, she's in an absolute nightmare because it's revealed partway through that where she's waking up every day at this destination wedding is in bed having just cheated on uh, or cheat having slept with the groom that is supposed to be marrying her sister. Does that make her the Chi-Ti? No, the, the bride the is the Chi-Ti. 
She is. She is. Bride is the cheaty. Yes. <laughs> She's the mistress. She's. So it's yeah but this is and this is why um this is why i find the film so fascinating because you you get this sense that she is desperate to escape throughout the film in a way that andy samberg's character niles just isn't as desperate and there's a bunch of clues that are seeded through throughout the film and that i think that they do a really good job with the cinematography every time she wakes up it when it first starts off you see just her face and then it the second time it shows her waking up it shows her face and the bed that she's in uh, and then the next time that she wakes up it shows her face it shows the bed and then it shows the door that goes into the bathroom where that shower is uh, and so it gradually reveals more of this room that you're able to see where she's at it has several moments throughout the film where ev- nobody knows where Sarah is at in the morning and nobody can find her because obviously she's in the groom's bedroom. And then you have this perfume that she's wearing and she goes and talks to the sister on that one day, which which really, really got me when I watched it the second time. And she has this whispering conversation where she tells the sister that she had slept with the groom, but we don't know that's what she said. And she's like, I'm out of here. All I had to do was do that. And I had to right my wrong. And then she wakes back up and we realize it's not changed. It hasn't changed everything. And we don't find out until a bit later that that is what she's experiencing. And then later on, Andy Samberg discovers what it is that's happening to her because he smells the perfume on the pillow. But I love this kind of juxtaposition of these two characters and the the pain that Kristen Milioti expresses in the desperation to get out of this time loop because it's such a traumatic experience for her to keep waking up to. Yeah, and you all, the seed that I remembered partway through the movie was her... The, the part that you don't really pay attention mm-hmm. to is her being so upset at the wedding. And then it's something that I forgot about until partway through. And then I don't think it was even until the end of the movie that I realized when he's he's going to give the speech to save her from that speech. Save her from having an embarrassing speech that he's had to watch her give hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I love the speeches we do see because <laughs> the another bridesmaid is giving a speech in that first wedding and it is the most generic, awful, you know, Merriam's dictionary defines love as blah blah blah, horrible speech and she's holding for applause and there's no applause. It is such a well-written <laughs> bad wedding speech and then he gives up and and does his but i i hadn't put together that the reason he does that is to save her from hers that is uh yeah the script is yeah. so tight but maddie going back to like your favorite scene and what you like here like i the movie throughout has these great scenes of their of sarah niles philosophy is clashing and expressing them to one another and it's not really done in a way where one is right and one is wrong. In most situations, you can be like, well, I understand that point of view. I understand how your experiences led you to this, and I understand this point of view. And even though they're different and at odds, it, it's not a matter of right and wrong. And that is what elevates the script, in my opinion. It's just, it's so smart. It's, it's like we said earlier, it's not sad boy learns to move forward from girl it is so much more than that they each have their own deep philosophies about life and the meaning of it and how we move forward and it's explored so well 
like they're in, when they're in the desert together and really bonding and he gives the metaphor with the candy bar he doesn't care about the part that's in his stomach that's gone that's the past it doesn't matter all he cares about mm. is the next bite and she's like no that makes no sense that's not the whole story you need to know the past so you don't repeat it and those are both like legitimate ways to look at your life and i can't really sit here and say like one is wrong and one is right and the them the characters don't come to one conclusion where oh you were right about this it's it's so much more layered than that and it's just one of my favorite scenes we'll talk about in a minute is another scene where it's their philosophies kind of coming together i think it's some of the best parts of this movie just uh, so well written why don't we go on and talk about the the next scene that we have which is yours chris so why don't you walk us through that one okay so we we alluded to earlier i i love whenever niles goes to irvine which is where uh roy wakes up uh because again this is the destination wedding but roy traveled there that day he didn't stay that night so roy's stuck in this time loop but he wakes up i don't know how far away irvine is but it seems to be a pretty good distance and he doesn't always come around palm springs so after niles has lost sarah she quits coming to meet up with him in his sort of desperation he go travels to see roy at his home and roy who we've only seen as a uh, party-goer, drug-fueled man, and also a psychopath that likes to torture Niles. (laughs) We see him in his suburban home, and it's the most, like, stereotypical white picket fence suburban home. He's got a beautiful wife, two young kids. It looks like he's about to go golfing with the way he's dressed. Like, it's that juxtaposition right away is already, like, charming. But... Also, Roy, of all people, gets to be the one to give him some, like, life advice. And it's the most J.K. Simmons <laughs> shit so you'll ever see. Where they're sitting in the backyard, and he's just passing on this wisdom in the most matter-of-fact way, looking at his beautiful kids. <laughs> and his son, Joey, he's like, little Joey's watering dog shit. <laughs> it's so That's good. weird. But it's beautiful. <laughs> And he's like, you know, this place, this home that I get to keep living in over and over again, it brings Roy some kind of peace. He's obviously hates that he's stuck in a time loop and can't move forward, can't see his kids grow up, but he can enjoy this beautiful day. And he tells Roy, you need to find your Irvine. And that in and of itself, find your happy place, it's pretty basic. Like it's not the most groundbreaking advice. But it's done in such a way and done at the right time of this story and delivered by J.K. Simmons to perfection. The way it's all done is wonderful. And what makes it special, what makes it Palm Springs, what makes it have this vibe is that the way this ends (laughs) is, well, Niles needs to restart his day. Rory, can you do me a solid kill me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Niles stands in a recycle <laughs> bin while <laughs> while uh, Roy pulls a, a bow and arrow on him and shoots him in the chest and he dies. And that's how we reset. And it's like this, you know, no other so movie good. you're going to see that. It's so specific to this movie, to Palm Springs. So that, you know, being in Irvine is one of the few breaks we get from Palm Springs. So it has this different feel to it. It really stands out. A important message is delivered. The character of Roy, we kind of realized why he's in the story. He's kind of been this weird side story up until now. 
again, pulling in all the pieces because this is such a well-written, tight script. I, I love that scene. Yeah, it's it's really good. I I just J, J.K. Simmons is the perfect casting for this this part as well because he's so good at delivering these. You know, like you said, that scene where his son is watering the dog shit, and he's just like, "That's weird." Um, and <laughs> That's weird. it's this mix of like this old, worn out guy, but also having learned some lessons about life, about connection with other people that he's able to pass on. And I, I just love this, this, I don't know, this kind of peace that his character has come to by this point with, you know, if this is the life I've got to live over and over and over again, it could be worse, you know, it's a, uh, and yep. I, I think that kind of coming to peace with his situation is a, a, a beautiful little message packed into the center of this film. Yeah, and and you get to see that Sarah made it happen. Like, he, he specifically cites Sarah making him die a long, gruesome death <laughs> in the ICU where they wouldn't let him sleep is what made him decide to stop chasing down yeah. Niles and killing him. And so it... A little contrived, I think, but it does give you a little notch in Sarah's belt for the impetus of moving Niles out of his his death loop. Yeah, it's it's another one of those things where the threads just come together in the right way because Sarah's intention was for them to like hash it out, basically, like talk to yeah. each other face to face. That doesn't happen, but what does happen is he dies a slow, gruesome death and realizes what he'd been doing the Niles. So in another way, what she wanted to happen happens. It just happens in this different way, and it's... Yeah, I, I, I like how that played out. It's also cool... The, so the way this sort of this movie sort of falls into like your traditional hero's journey structure is a little strange because... Niles, I think, is so obviously the protagonist of this movie, and you can, like, Sarah fulfills some protagonist functions, but Niles is the one who ultimately undergoes, like, the big personal change. But through most of the movie, Niles is the one who is the mentor to Sarah, and this is really the point where Niles finally gets his mentor in J.K. Simmons, which is something that normally comes in the first act of a movie. So it's a little strange for it to happen in what I'm pretty sure is supposed to function as like the approach to the inmost cave. This is our last moment before the climax of the movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Nice point. Shall <laughs> I have nothing to add. Well said. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and move on to our last scene here, which was also yours, Chris, as the guest. We let you pick two scenes. And th- I think this happens right after our boy Andy gets shot in the heart. So why don't you walk us through this one? Yeah, it, it kind of bleeds together. Um, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, because shot in the heart. But uh, right after this, we find out what Sarah's been up to because she wakes up first on the time loop day. So she can go wherever she wants, and he can't find her, and he hasn't seen her for a long time. I do like – we don't really know how much time passes in this time movie, which is fun and interesting and very thematic. But what she has been doing is studying quantum physics, and there's a lot of science that gets thrown out there. 
I have no idea if, you know, obviously time loops to our knowledge aren't real, so it can't be like real science, but I'm very curious if anyone understands the dialogue that's going on here as she's reading these books and watching these YouTube videos, if there's anything remotely that makes sense for a time loop situation. But regardless, like we've established, she is dead set on busting out of the situation. And there's this nice thematic comparison with her personal situation she wants to break mm -hmm. out of and this time loop she wants to break out of good yep. writing well done but once she figures it out or at least has a theory of how to get out of there she goes to niles and first lets him apologize and she says thank you and then you can tell she's like i'm so i'm, I'm already past that but thanks for saying it but hey look i have this theory i think i can get us out of here so she takes him to the room that she's been she's been doing her work in, and she breaks it down for him and her theory. And then we have this another like battle of like philosophies and what the right thing to do is. Niles has realized that he loves Sarah, and that should have been all that mattered. And in his mind, the right thing to do is like we have this situation where we can be together forever. That's all that matters. Why would we risk? messing this up getting out of here dealing with other stuff in life that doesn't matter all that matters is us i want to stay in this time loop forever with you sarah says that is insane this isn't real life you don't know that you love me because i'm just the only other person that's available and this is one of the situations where they both make a lot of sense to me and i can totally understand why niles who has been stuck in the situation for an inconceivable amount of time has finally found, finally figured it out, found hope, found someone that he loves. Yeah, that's all he's going to want. That's all that matters. And that probably would be a pretty cool life, like living this time loop with someone. But I can also understand her point of view where she's obsessed with the fact that this isn't real. And she doesn't want to wake yeah. up in that situation every single day. And Niles, you're cool, but unless we're in the real world, we can't be sure that what we have is real. And it's so well done, so well written. Another one of the situations, we don't really come to a conclusion. Niles does have an epiphany and change his mind at the end of the movie. But again, during this scene, I understand both of their philosophies, both of their feelings, and what they think it should be moving forward. And it's, it's one of those scenes that elevates this movie beyond i mean this is so far beyond being just a rom-com right this is so far beyond meet cute and two people finding each other like that is definitely part of this movie in a layer and then like there's this sci-fi layer and philosophical layer and it all comes to a head in the scene and it is truly wonderful one of the things i loved about this scene was the way that she calls out his fear of moving on like he's settled into this place and he's afraid of what may be beyond you know, he he can just keep living this life the way that it is, and he's he's afraid of what may happen if they tried to change this. And I agree with you. It's very well written, very philosophical, uh, at the same time as just being such a tight script, and it really elevates this romantic comedy. And so that's brilliant. This is in another romantic comedy. This is the scene where she finds out that he just went on a date with her because he lost a bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th that is the stakes yeah. of a normal romantic comedy and this one it, it's all this you know philosophical conversations it's just it's so elevated yeah i i also like when if you go to the wiki page for time loop movies and it sort of gives you the breakdown of like what a time loop movie is and it says at the top it's like normally the characters have to make some sort of like personal epiphany to exit the time loop and 
I love that this movie doesn't do that. Like she tries to make the personal epiphany and it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And it's like, oh no, she just has infinite time. Like she can go and learn quantum physics and brain her way out, which super cool. And and it's it should be noted that the woman gets to brain her way out. I mean that that is no small feat for a movie to do to do that. It's and great. It's, it's very cool. And I, I like that. It shouldn't be skipped over that they yeah. don't explain the time loop. Like it's not a personal challenge, and you get out of it. There's there's no line about oh this comet crash here twenty years ago. There's nothing. There's a glow in a cave that we don't even get a direct shot of. You get stuck in a time loop. That is that is as much explanation as we get, and that's all that we need to make this work. And I I really like that. Yeah, I also I also wanted to mention in this scene the it was different for me on my first watch but on rewatch that section where Andy Samberg apologizes to her and I think she does such great acting work here because as you said Chris you can see that she's like already over it but I feel like on rewatch I saw her like just her face be a little surprised that his apology was as good as it was. And I took her thank you to be like very genuine in that moment. Like, thank you. That was a good apology. And then are you done now? (laughs) And (laughs) yeah. And she nails those. Yeah. I do think I do. That's a good point. I do think it was a genuine acceptance of his, of his apology. It's, It's just that it's something that for her, she's like, Oh Yeah that thing that happened in their time something like a thousand years ago right, uh, yeah. that he's apologizing for. She's yeah. like, oh yeah, thanks for apologizing for that. Anyway, I've moved on and like figured all this out, uh, stuff out. Which again is a mm-hmm. parallel to their philosophies. He is stuck on this one mistake and he's been obsessing over it. She has moved on to try to mm-hmm. uh, move on. <laughs> so again, it's just another parallel to these two characters on their own paths with their own philosophies and uh, it is it is so well done. I keep talking about how tight the script is, how good the script is. I don't know if we're ready to talk about like the end of this movie, but if I have any criticism about the movie, it's it's coming at, at the end of this yep. film. I, I think I have the same thing. And yeah, our next section is cleanup. So this is where we just mention anything we want to mention that we haven't mentioned yet. So why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, so I like the part where she is going through with her plan. She's going to blow herself up in the cave to try to escape the time loop. Doesn't know where she'll end up, but she thinks it'll be outside of the time loop, and she may die, but it's a risk she's willing to take. And Niles comes up, and he, he has a, a great one-sentence speech <laughs> that I think is really one smart sentence and funny speech, and well-done, and he keeps extending his one-sentence. And semicolon. It's, yeah. it's very good, but <laughs> emphatic period. That's just an exclamation point. <laughs> but I, I like that... I, he wraps it up with, I would rather die with you than live in a world without you. It's very sweet. It's 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 super well done. And that is the climax in the movie. Niles making that decision to go with her. That is, that's a satisfactory ending. That's perfect. That's great. They walk into the cave together. And what I wish would have happened, everyone listening, is they they kiss there's this big light music swells she pushes the button we get this explosion on screen and we get some cool effects but i would like to have lingered on this more and get some like more lighting effects and like uh you know seeing the cosmos and like the, the fabric of reality bending 
and then credits roll because the movie is done. He made his decision. Mm. Where they end up doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that he decided to go. But the movie continues. We see them lounging in a pool. Are they still in the time loop or have they moved on? We see that they have moved on. And so they're going to live happily ever after, which I get why it's there, but I don't think it's necessary. And then to top it off, the camera pans up and we see these dinosaurs in the distance. That's a callback to an earlier scene where they were in the desert and did mushrooms together and had this shared hallucination. And I can't come up with a reason why we see the dinosaurs at the end other than it's kind of quirky and fun and it does it does not work for me up until the cave if it ended there you know perfect 10 out of 10 movie that little extra bit i don't know it's a, it's a 9.5 to me i just I, it doesn't it feels like a studio note like this oh we need you know to emphatically say it's a happy ending they're happy ever after it just it doesn't you know it doesn't ruin the movie i just i don't think it's necessary for, for me, when I watched it this time, right after they go into the cave and it explodes and does all that, it cuts to black for just a moment before it shows that they're there. And I was like, wait, did that, is that how it ended? I couldn't remember for sure. And then it shows them and they're at that pool and I remembered all of this. It's, I, I think that you have a really strong point there that it, you don't need to see how their story resolves. But I do like, the dinosaurs actually kind of works for me. It because it's just so weird and you're like okay maybe there's something bigger that's going on here and there's also the like mid-credit scenes with uh, with jk simmons and where you see that like he's still in the time loop and niles and sarah are out of it so they're just going through the the normal day and then he figures out uh, that he's going to be able to get out and I think what would have worked really well for me as well is if they kind of ended on that fade to black but then had a few post credit scenes where they showed like the dinosaurs and J.K. Simmons and any of those other bits. I don't know if that makes sense. I do like that mid-credit scene. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's very sweet. It ties up that loose thread because you see her leaving a voicemail for someone and I, even my second time through, I'm like, who is she talking to? I I totally forgot. And then we see that she's leaving. that's how... She's somehow... Got it. She's leaving like this very scientific voicemail. I don't know if she got all the information on how to do this in a voicemail, but she tells jk simmons character how to get out and it is a nice little button on that story yeah so i i definitely was like frustrated that they when i was watching i was like wait they cannot just leave this time loop and leave jk simmons in here like that is exceptionally wrong they know that someone else is stuck in here so i was pretty happy that the stinger took care of that but i don't know i I don't think it works, or at least I couldn't figure out that it works because she says that the goat's just gone. The goat's not in the time loop anymore. So I don't think J.K. Simmons should be seeing a Niles who is still stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> that is interesting. That didn't really make a, a However, ton of sense to However, I me. will tell you this. It's possible she lied about the goat, and he does try to call her out on that because they're walking towards the light and he's like did the that's goat true She's like, <laughs> that's, too late. that's a good point oh interesting. You'll, you'll never know oh that's yeah. so that's a good it could have been you know it could have been her lying it could have been she uh she let me think about this she gets the goat stuck in the time loop yeah i guess i don't know how she would know yeah that that, that 
I mean, I, I can I can headcanon my way out of it, but I do think that is a slight uh, maybe uh, oversight on the writer's part. I, I also was like, I think y'all should just wait one more day because Niles is clearly pretty beat up and you should let him get a version where he's not going to have to heal from all these wounds. And we are in America. Like, if he has to go to a doctor, he's going to have hospital bills, you know. So just take <laughs> one more loop. Heal up. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> the so the only the only issue that i had in this movie and i don't know since you guys saw it a second time i don't know if you bumped it on the first time or if it was fixed for you on the second time but i felt like there was something cut when all of a sudden sarah has become experienced in the time loop there was the first time where she responds to a character with his name and it's like and then she starts doing the loop choreo and i was like wait did like did i miss the time where she spent a ton of time in here i thought we were still in her figuring it out they do go through that part quickly yeah what what i think happens is when she first gets stuck in the time loop oh let me let me back let me (laughs) let me back up a little bit they 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 hint at it earlier in the movie so when she first gets stuck in the time loop, we see her show up at the swimming pool and start throwing beers at him. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to her perspective. And we see her wake up, freak out she's in a time loop. And that scene catches up to where we were, where she's throwing beers at him. So what we did is we saw Niall's day, started over, saw Sarah's day. And I think they do that on a much larger scale where we see Niles going through his sad, depressing stuff where he finally goes and sees Roy and realizes that he loves her. That's a long period of time. And then we jump back in time and see what Sarah's been up to that entire time. So as long as Niles has been depressed and going through these days and pining over Sarah and meeting up with Roy, she has been hitting the books and studying and watching these YouTube videos and becoming an expert. And again, the movie never expressly says like this could have been thirty years. It, it, we don't know. There's there's no yeah definite timeline for how long it took her to become a not even an expert at this, but enough to have a theory. Like she doesn't have to fully understand quantum physics in and out. She just has to find a theory about this specific conundrum and how she could break it. So we don't know how long that took, but she was doing that alongside. Niles having his issues and even after Irvine he could have still been going through sad days on and on that we never see where she's out studying hitting the books that all made sense to me I think I'm trying to remember I should have rewatched the moment I'm talking about is when she hits a pool ball over another pool ball and then she responds to another character with his name it's like in the bar and it's shortly after. Um... Oh, I just explained something that wasn't even your hangup at all. So I apologize for that big old rant that helped no one. I understand what you're saying now. So he's gone through stuff so much that he can, you know, no look, throw something in yeah. a trash can because he's done it a million times. But how how is she, how does she get up to that point? Yeah, it felt oh, like it's I one just of those things. Missed yeah, it's just delighted. Mon- it felt like they just cut a m- montage for time. Well, they do have back-to-back montages because they play two songs in the montage, and I really like this scene. And the point of a montage in most movies is that you don't know exactly how long that period is. And I feel like it's yeah. true in this movie, like, times a thousand. Mm-hmm. This fun little montage where they die in a bunch of fun ways, 
could be 50 years. It could be long enough for her to become just as much of an expert on this environment as him. It, it could be just as long. And then the second half of the montage is them doing the choreographed dance inside yeah. the dive bar, which is really fun. And I didn't realize until the rewatch that the song they are dancing to plays at the wedding. It's the song that well, that's he wild. approaches her on in the beginning oh, where he dances around people that's in a specific way. So it's a song they have both heard countless times, and that's why they know it so well they can do this choreographed dance. That but, makes sense. Yeah, I would say, to answer your question, I think it's during that montage. If you think she needs 20 years to be able to do that pull shot, that montage was 20 years. I mean, I think that's where the answer I is. I think that pull shot happens before that montage is the problem. I could be wrong. Though. If yeah. it does, then it's the most unrealistic part of this entire movie, Zach. <laughs> and you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I I didn't bump up against that part, but it does. It does feel. I get what you're saying. That it feels like maybe there they shot another montage that was cut, but I'm sure that's just a time thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a couple of other things or other scenes that they had shot for possibly using in montages that ended up on the cutting room floor because you know you know what happens in groundhog day is you see him messing up in all of his runs to get perfection like you see all the failed ones and you don't get that in this movie which is probably fine i think i get it but i was expecting it so then when i didn't get it i was like wait a minute how did we get to perfection already I think that's part of, I think that was intentional. But it makes more sense with the character of Niles, who's been in this time loop for, for who knows how long from the movie starts. But I think this movie really wanted to be like a fresh look at time loops where we skip over all the handholdy stuff and exposition stuff and get to the fun stuff. Yeah. So I would I would probably chalk it up to that. Yeah, yep. that, that makes sense. What do either of you have anything else for cleanup? Oh, I got a bunch, actually. Yeah, what do you um, got, Maddie? Okay, so... One of the things that was really weird for me on this rewatch is I just watched another movie with Andy Samberg and J.K. Simmons this last week, which is the Rescue Rangers movie. They're both in that one. And so it was very weird that I just watched Palm Springs and saw mm-hmm. them together, and then they came back and did the the Rescue Rangers, which I'm sure uh, Andy Samberg was one of the first people on that project, so I'm sure he brought in J.K. Simmons because he remembered working with him. So that was, uh, well, I think, that was weird. I think it's a Lonely Islands. I think it's a production company, Rescue Rangers. I could be wrong about that, but I think he's involved on the production side of that movie as yeah. well. I, think so. I haven't watched it yet. Was it fun? I've heard good things. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, I, I don't know that I can say it's a good movie, but I, I like regardless of whether it is or not, I think it's worth a watch because it's it's very unique and strange and not what I expected going in. And it's, these it's two, Andy Samberg and So yeah. I'm definitely going to watch it. They're, they're both good together as well. They, they have great chemistry. They're both doing voices, though, so it's a, a little bit different. The other thing on here, one of the things that I found really interesting about this film is we kept mentioning how the script was so tight but then when i listened to the interviews they improved a lot of the film and and a lot of the improv ends up on film so i don't know how you do that how you have a script that's so tight and still have so much improv in the performances but that's one of the things that's remarkable to me it's remarkable because this was i think we already said it's a directorial debut, but I also think the screenwriter is not super experienced. Might be one of his first movies as well. So, like, having these people that are so new to filmmaking pull this stuff off is incredible. I, I, it probably goes back to the fact that Andy Samberg is involved 
creatively with this movie and thinking about his character and able to improvise in character and what would be meaningful in this part of the story not to make it's still insanely impressive and they shot this movie in 21 days so they're they're improvising in this very limited time and making it on screen <laughs> one improvised scene that did make it to screen they pointed out in that commentary was whenever niles and roy first meet at the bar and they're kind of having this stare down like feeling each other out and there's this moment of silence and niles says i like your hat and Roy says, "Of course you do." <laughs> both those both those lines were improvised by the actors, and it made it's a great. movie, and it's, it's it's very good. But yeah, just very very impressive. I think kind of going back to what I was saying, like in the first part of this podcast, like my sell of this movie is that it is so much deeper and better than you expect from like mm-hmm. a movie that's straight to streaming. And even in 2022, I still have kind of that. Maybe it's unfair that I think of movies that way. Like they're, they're, I expect less than when it goes straight to streaming. When the reality is, these types of movies, I know this is a five million dollar movie, but I call them like the thirty million dollar movie. We used to see them all the time throughout the nineties and early two thousands. White Men Can't Jump, one of my favorite movies of the nineties, doesn't get made today. If it get made today, it goes straight to streaming. As good as it gets, uh, it was a huge hit back in the day small budget 30 million dollar budget whereas cinemas have changed these days we all know this that you know how much is dominated by franchise and stuff so the reality is those movies still get made they just go to streaming yeah most of the time so it's probably unfair of me to like expect less from a movie or expect it to be nothing more than a fun time at best but i think the performances the writing this is a I can't praise it enough. Great. I've said it. I feel like I'm a broken record, but it's just it's it's such <laughs> a good movie, and that's my biggest sell. This movie is that like it's 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 one of the best of 2020. Uh, 2020. It's just it's better than you expect, and maybe I'm just talking yes. to myself. Maybe I'm the one with the hang up that expects less from streaming movies. Maybe other people don't have that problem, and I don't need to hype it up. But like, I, I it's, it's I really think good. that's common actually. I think a lot of people think that way uh, and kind of approach streaming things this way. But they're so, I don't know. I found so many that I enjoy. Sorry, Zach. Well, I mean, I think that was a pretty common conception in 2020. And maybe it still is, but I'm going to blow your mind right now, Chris, which is there's a movie, and you probably have never heard of it, but it's a movie called Coda. And that was a, yeah, yeah. It was a straight to streaming movie. And if you've never heard of it, but it actually won the Oscar for Best Picture last year. Oh, wow. And it did. Yeah. Okay. Is that the first well, time this simil- happened? Or did it, it have like a, to, uh, was it was, like same time theaters and streaming or something? Well, it was same thing as this one where it debuted. I think it was at Cannes Film Festival oh, okay. instead of Sundance. And then, yeah, straight to straight to Apple. I will definitely watch that because you have made that recommendation to me for the first <laughs> time on this podcast. Yeah, they, I've <laughs> never mentioned it before. <laughs> uh, as far as cleanup, I do. I have to shout out peter gallagher and i know we already like did our highlights for cast and he's not in it enough for mm-hmm. him to be like my guy that i highlight but he plays the dad of sarah and he is the perfect on-screen father he's the dad mm-hmm. in the oc which is probably where most people know him but he looks like a dad he talks like a dad there's the scene where uh the bride breaks her teeth and he goes in the dad mode trying to fix the problem and he's he's on the phone and i had to write <laughs> yeah, down his funny. uh his dialogue he, he hangs up the phone he goes so i'm taking her in the town the dentist glues teeth 
<laughs> like so triumphantly, like, <laughs> yes, I solved it. And they all cheer and they're like, yeah, she's yes. got her teeth falling out. Uh, but, so. Yeah, I, I love this man anytime he shows up. And if you need a dad in your movie, cast Peter, what am I trying to say? Cast Peter Gallagher every time. He'll nail it. He's great. I, I do, I know I said it already, but I, I do want to come back to this. There's these dinosaurs in this movie. And the first time we see them, <laughs> so weird. they're in the desert. They're, again, they're on shrooms. And I like this part a lot because they they both see it, which doesn't – I haven't done shrooms, but I don't think that's how it works. I don't think you hallucinate stuff together. But it works <laughs> thematically because they're having a shared experience, mm-hmm. which is what's happening in the time loop. So I really like that scene where they're bonding and and sharing that experience. Which is why I'm so confused about it showing up at the end, and I can't come up with a reason. It's so, really not to put you on the spot, but do you have like a like a pointed reason on why we see him again at the end? Is it just a fun yeah. callback? Is it to make us question things? What do you think? The, so the only thing I can come up with, and like it's kind of a bad one because I actually don't really like what it means, and that's that they it's actually put them in a slightly different multiverse like when they exploded out they didn't get to go back to their old lives they went back to lives that are very close to their old lives but in a slightly different multiverse that has dinosaurs that yeah well that sort of manifested like something that they brought to it Hmm. and that was something from that shared experience but it's kind of a scary thing because it's like well then what happens when Roy breaks out, like, are his kids still going to be there? So that that's the only reason I could come up with, but it, it's not a very satisfying one. It's not a very happy one. The The best that I personally came up with is because you see him in the distance, and it, the thing is they kind of look like trees or mountains, mm-hmm. but you can clearly see that a dinosaur is moving. I, I wonder if the intention was for us to look at him and go like, wait a minute, is that the dinosaurs? And then it cuts the credits. Like, I wonder if it's supposed to be like ambiguous, like, like a like a quirky, like fun callback. Like, oh, oh wait, uh, did they really see? You know, kind of just like a fun last little thing. But I I feel like it's pretty obvious they're dinosaurs walking, and so it's a little bit too much movement for that for that effect. At least my take on it. And it's not the biggest thing. I'm not. It doesn't ruin the movie. I just it it is. They, it's so intentional to put those dinosaurs at the end, and I just I can't. For as tidy the script is, I guess I just want an answer to everything uh, or a reason for everything, and maybe I'm just looking too hard for something. So there's an interview with the writer about the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not gonna like the answer oh, though. Um, is <laughs> yeah, they're just like yeah, they're there because we put them there for a reason, but we're not gonna explain it. Or maybe it's just because I really like Jurassic Park, and that's the <laughs> that's the answer. Mm. So we don't know. Yeah. Mm. They, they're just deliberately ambiguous about this. I don't know Dislike. why. I'm a, if he answered that about, hey, what is that glow in the cave? And he gave something super ambiguous, I'd be totally fine with it. But for some reason, yeah. I don't like that the dinosaurs are. So maybe it's <laughs> me just being hung up on something stupid. But like, I'm like, yeah, I don't even know how they got caught in a time loop and what propels this plot and gets us started. But these dinosaurs, I need an answer, damn it. So. No, I I hear you. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Because it is the end of the movie, it feels like it feels less fair to to have it there. It's the last thing you see and the last thing you're thinking about. So it's like, 
Yeah, I, I, I get you on that, for sure. Yeah, the dinosaurs are weird. I don't know. I just have a big question mark next to them on my notepad. I don't know what to think about them. Every time I watch it, I, I'm just like, I don't know. The dinosaurs, they're weird. I don't know. It's very strange. Let me jump in the last two things that I, or actually three things. So they're fast ones, though. So thing number one, Abe the Groom. I don't know if y'all recognize him as the guy who plays Clark Kent in the Supergirl franchise. Um, But that that kind of threw me. I was like, oh, it's Superman. Um, (laughs) And then I also really enjoyed that Andy Samberg's character, it seems pretty clear that he's uh, intended to be a bisexual character. I just love whenever we get to see bisexual men on screen. And then the last one here was, there's this moment where there's the old lady that comes up to him after he gives the speech and says, that's the best speech I've ever seen at a wedding. And, you know, you're like, okay, that's nice. But then later on, she pops back up when, after Sarah has decided to leave, and she says, oh, she decided to get out. And then she walks away. And so, I don't know, that lady's been in the time loop. I'm pretty sure she's... She's been in the time loop the whole time. There is more scenes with Nana that were cut from the film. And I don't mean to tease anything because I don't know what those scenes are. And they were kind of cagey about it on the commentary. But I think that character is intentionally meant to be another ambiguous point. Where like, how much much does she know? Yeah. Oh, interesting. She seems to know a bit more. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know. Those are the last things I wanted to to hit because I found them interesting. Now I want to watch it again. It's really good. Have I said that For this sure. movie is really good? Have I said that yeah. Amy Samberg is really good? There's even so I I, I could talk about this movie all day. Cause stop me whenever you want. I don't know how long you want this episode to be, but that scene where they're <laughs> in the desert and they're really bonding and falling in love, and they go to sleep together in a tent which is an orange tint, by the way, and orange is an important color in this movie, and we don't need to go off on that tangent, but they're in this tent together, and there's another one of my favorite parts of Andy Samberg's performance where they're laying down, going to sleep. Obviously, they're going to be reset. And Sarah, who had previously said, I'm not going to sleep with you, says, let's just get it over with. Let's (laughs) have sex. And Niles is looking away from her. She can't see his face, but he has, like, this, this hesitation and then says, okay. And he rolls over and, and they have sex. And I, I don't really know what you might be thinking of that the first time you see this movie. But on a rewatch, we know that he has had sex with her many, many times before they got stuck in a time loop together. And he lied about it and said that it had never happened. So there's there's mm-hmm. he's feeling extremely guilty and debating whether he should admit this to her. But also, he clearly wants to have sex with her, and it's going to be different for him this time. And the only word Andy Samberg says is okay, but because he's a very good actor, we see all of these, all this confliction on his face conveyed silently, and this is an Oscar-worthy performance. Damn it, I, I really like that scene specifically for him. <laughs> yeah, great. and I think, so there's two, th- two things that I wanted to talk about for at this section and one of them is that time loop movies and groundhog day in particular have a really weird and now pretty troubling issue with consent i think and the idea that like he's working like the groundhog day in particular has some stuff that gets a little 
more at least in the musical it's been a long time since i saw the film where he's just a little more aggressive about stuff than i would want our hero to be and i think it's nice that this film like it's clear that consent is important to niles and like that when he mentions it he's like yeah it takes a lot of work like i have to work hard to make sure that the other person is okay with it and it doesn't remove the consent issue of like him knowing stuff that the other person does not know but it did alleviate it a lot for me and yeah it's like you said it's nice to update the formula a little bit for modern sensibilities yeah and then the other thing is rom rom rom-com movies always sort of have are at the big blow up it always sort of toes this line for me of like how big of a bad thing is our protagonist going to do and how many hurdles am I going to have to get over in order to forgive them for it? And I thought this was a really good one. I thought that I don't, like, I'm not, I don't forgive him lying to her about it, but I definitely understood why he did it. And it was not, and it was bad enough that I understood why she got mad but it wasn't so bad that I didn't forgive him for it because I did understand why he did it. Yeah, I think if you're in the time loop so long that your brain becomes mush and the world isn't real and these aren't real people and they're going to get reset and none of your actions actually matter, I think you get to a point where you are beyond thinking about things like consent because you're not actually doing something to a real person. And I'm, I'm not... I'm not advocating this. If you're in a time loop and you're listening to this, it's not okay. But <laughs> I can I can understand his mind getting to that point in a way that I mean, like you said, I, it's not a matter of like forgiving him. It's just like, well, yeah, I I, I kind of get it, and I think it's important that he, whenever she is in the time loop with him, he suddenly feels very differently about it, and it, you know, she is now a real person there with him, so he wouldn't do that or i guess he does do that and then feels very guilty about it and admits it to her later so but yeah i, th- I think it, it it addresses it head on in a pretty direct way and i think it it handles it pretty well yeah and she also mentioned she says it's not that big of a deal i'm just upset that you lied about mm-hmm. it or, or lied that that happened and i think that's a good way to call out that that moment and that particular problem as well yeah that that's all i have for cleanup I know, Chris, you could keep talking about this forever, but we probably should wrap it up at some point. Just because, you know, we have to pay for the space to host the show. So, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I've said all I, I need to say. Good movie. I like it. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap this bad boy up. The next week, we I think we're going to be watching the first Oscar winner that we've covered for the show. So we'll be watching Parasite next week which should be tons of fun. And as always, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find me at Zvazda, Z-V-A-Z-D-A, and you can find Matt at... O-R-A-M-W, O-R-A-Y-M-W. And Chris, where can they find you? On Twitter, at maybe Chris Logan. And, uh, of course, best of the rest, wherever you get your podcast, give it a listen. I'll certainly appreciate it. And I plug all kinds of stuff on that show. So if you listen to our show, you'll find all this other social stuff. You can find the show. But me personally, at maybe Chris Logan. 
Yeah, and the best of the rest Discord, I really like the people in there and the conversation's really nice. I always share all the movies that I'm watching in there and whatever I'm reading. It's always nice to talk to like-minded folk who would rather be on the more positive end than the negative end. So if you want, Chris, I'll drop a link to the invite in the show notes as well. That would be great. Yeah, come and join us. It's not just about talking about our podcast, Best of the Rest, but like there's an open community for talking about movies and books and TV. And because our show is focused on being positive, I like to feel like that's carried over into the Discord. So it's a nice little like oasis in the internet where you can talk about movies and media and pop culture stuff in a nice, positive, friendly way without all the snark. Eh, A little bit of snark. A little bit of snark, but at least (laughs) for me, and I think most other people, I'll spoiler tag it when I'm being snarky because I just feel bad (laughs) doing it in your Discord. (laughs) (laughs) And of of course, if you want to shoot us an email, you can do that at podcaststreamit at gmail.com. So let's get out of here. I have a rant... uh, bonus question for us and i think it's a pretty easy one but let's assume that you are stuck in a time loop and you know we all have busy lives there's way more stuff to do way more books to watch way more music to listen to way more uh wait did i say movies already whatever way too way too much media to consume than we'll ever be able to do in a lifetime so if you're stuck in a time loop What's the thing that's been on your list that you haven't gotten around to that you're like, oh, I'm going to go do this now? Let's start with, does anyone have an answer ready? Oh, man. I do, yeah. Go ahead. All right, let's go to Matt first. I would learn every language. Oh, that's a good answer for you, yeah. That's it. That's my answer. I just learn every language. Uh, If I was stuck in a time loop, that's the first thing I would check off. Learn every language that I can, as many details as possible. Uh, Get as much knowledge about them as I can. And then I'd deal with everything else. But I'd want to get the languages, every single one of them, out of the way first. Yeah, that's a good one. I would watch Coda. I've heard it's a pretty good movie. (laughs) First thing I would do. Take care of that. It's been on my mind uh, since you recommended it. For the first time ever, yeah. Yeah, beyond, I mean, all the basic <laughs> stuff of, like, watching TV shows. I've, I mean, you've got to go through the existential crisis first. You can't just sit down and enjoy a TV show. So, obviously, the first thing I do is, you know, freak out, kill myself a bunch, all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Right, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, other than, like, the stupid media <laughs> stuff, Matt, that's such a good answer. <laughs> Learning a language, it's so much more, like, important than anything. Or so much, I don't know, it feels important versus watching movies and playing video games and stuff that it's cheating a little bit i'm a, i'm a linguist can you imagine like your goal is like to beat certain video games but you you have to beat it in one day you have to beat the entire game without falling asleep <laughs> that might be kind of stressful oh yeah you couldn't do video games that would be that would be rough oh I'll finally play elden ring let's see <laughs> let's see, what, <laughs> see how far i can get <laughs> speed run it is, is that that it for you, Chris? Yeah, I don't have anything smart to say. <laughs> Just watch okay. watch movies and play games. <laughs> I've yeah, I've got a big. I would make the um, perfect podcast episode. I would I ooh. would keep working on it until I I just nail the formula, and I record it first thing and I publish it and it blows up and gets five hundred thousand downloads, and then and then I then I'm done. <laughs> hopefully you can save it to a usb stick and that stays on your person through the loop because yeah, i gotta swallow it whenever i escape yeah the loop. yeah yeah 
Um, I have a big blind spot for Star Trek. It's always been, like, I think I've seen the J.J. Abrams movie and that's it. So I do all of that. That's, it's always just been too daunting for me. And I've always kind of wanted to start at the top. So that's, that's probably where I would start. That's a pretty good answer because there's so many shows and movies and go back and forth. Think of the timeline, right? I watched this past year, I watched the first six, there's six movies in the original series, I think. I watched all the original cast movies. Um, it was quite a ride. But uh, I don't know if I'll ever like watch every episode of the TV show or something. So that is a pretty good answer. All right, so that'll do it for us. And of course, thank you to David Stewart, a.k.a. Astoriel, our beta listener and also editing of the podcast. This one will hopefully not kill him. This one is quite a beast. So thank you so much, David. And Chris, thank you for coming on. Thanks for being our guest. We were very happy to have you. And you never know how these things are going to go. You've had guests as well, but this conversation was very easy and I appreciate it. Yeah, so you, David cut out the part where uh, we went on that giant rant and I called you all horrible names, right? That's not going to be in the episode <laughs> when I said uh, this is super unprofessional. Why? What kind of podcast are you running over here? All those things I said before, they're not <laughs> listeners aren't going to hear all that, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, we don't know, so the listeners will know better <laughs> than we know. At this Leave point. it in, David. <laughs> no, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. I obviously love talking about movies and I love talking about other talking to, I don't know. I'm tired. Let's end this episode, but thank you for having me. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.